We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, folks. Fielding the 68, episode three, we approach the month of February, which will bring plenty of clarity that I think is much needed for everyone uh, in, in the bracketology community. We've got Andy Bottoms, Rocco Miller here. I'm Kevin Sweeney. Uh, ready to take you through our third projected bracket of the year. Guys, how was the weekend? Did it help any in prepping your fields? I, I would say not really, <laughs> um, because the hard the, feels like the hard part is when you get into the eight, nine, ten seed range, and then I feel like those are uh, pretty much all those teams lost. So uh, not super helpful, but a lot of good games. So from a, a just a consumer of the sport, uh, it was great with a lot of the overtime games and, and close games in that regard. But I don't feel like it sorted out a whole lot for me. Maybe Rocco feels differently, but uh, I, I definitely look back at the results and. Didn't, didn't feel better about certain things than I did going in. Yeah, I would say a little bit of a mixed bag. There was a couple teams that really cleared themselves up for me as solid tournament teams and even started really ascending up the seed list like TCU's a crazy triple overtime win over Baylor was not only one of the best games of the weekend, but it also had a huge impact on the change from my bracket on Friday to this morning. Um, TCU clearly now checking a huge box. They didn't have that big road win yet and a lot of empty calories in their resume. Now, uh, one of the hardest road wins you can get in the Big 12 is under their belt. So an example like that, and with Northwestern beating Ohio State by 30-plus, your school, Kevin, um, starting to solidify. They were kind of hanging around the bubble the last couple of weeks. Now their performance metrics and their overall resume suddenly just look so much better after a game like that. Um, so I think a couple of these teams that really helped. Then we got a lot more confusion when you had Colorado State collapse in a crazy ending at Wyoming. You had uh, Villanova fall again, and now they're suddenly seven and nine in meaningful games. It's like, what do you do with the Wildcats? Seton Hall keeps losing with Kadari Richmond. So, a lot uh, to Andy's point, a lot of these teams got a lot more complicated. We are Feeling 68. We are brought to you, as always, by Rhythm. Um, Rocco, you, you started us off here pretty well. Um, just what games really stood out this weekend? Which results? Um, which scores, which moves in the metrics were the things that really were most noticeable? I'll start with you, Andy, since Rocco already got started a little bit. Was, was there a game or two that stood out most? Yeah, you know, he touched on the TCU game, uh, winning at Baylor. They shot up my list pretty pretty well. Uh, Ole Miss was another one coming in. Weren't really the, the knock on them was not a lot of 
great wins. The resume metrics were good. The predictives were poor. Um, but even within that, not a lot of top end wins. So being able to win at Texas A&M was big for them. Uh, Mississippi State was kind of in that same bubble area. Being able to beat Auburn uh, was big. And, and Texas Tech, who's been climbing as well. I know they were brought up on the show last week, winning at Oklahoma, another big road win uh, for them. And I know Lucas isn't here, but I'd be remiss not to uh, not to mention Butler's win uh, over Villanova, which really had big implications for both teams. Rocco talked about uh, that. I'm sure Villanova will come up more in the show today as they sit at 11-9 and nine, uh, overall. But Butler, a team, metrics aren't great, but they're starting to pick up more wins against teams in the field or or just outside of the field. So uh, a really big win for them and a, and a, and a harmful loss for uh, Villanova at the same time. Yeah, great example. I would also, yeah, I would, I would just add Utah State just had a ginormous road win at Boise State, not only to take over first place by themselves in a, in a loaded Mountain West conference, but also their resume was missing a road win against the field, even though it was impressive with a great record. They only had the 186th ranked schedule. Um, there was a lot of questions if the Aggies belonged as high as a six or a five seed the last couple of weeks. I think they definitely kind of cemented themselves in that range with now the ability to go up if they can start beating teams like New Mexico when they play them at home later this year. They'll get cracks at San Diego State. I think they play San Diego State later this week. So that was just really big for Utah State. It, just in terms of entertainment, Florida Atlantic, once again, John L. Davis puts on the cape, hits a game-winning three with 0.4 seconds to go to rescue the Owls one more time. And, you know, even though the Owls have a crazy resume, they've won six in a row and they're really starting to show uh, no matter what the circumstances, they'll find ways to win. And that's a sign of a great team and obviously a terrific season last year. And another kind of underrated result was Cornell really uh, whooping Princeton. And, uh, you know, I've been talking about it all year. The Ivy League is more loaded than I've ever seen it in my lifetime. And uh, Cornell is a very dangerous team, as is Yale, who's also undefeated. Columbia has talent. Harvard has Malik Mack, who's uh, probably an NBA player. Uh, watch the Ivy League. It's, it's incredible. And now Princeton's got another loss. Uh, road wins, certainly a great story uh, everywhere you look. And you mentioned Utah State, certainly way, a huge needle-moving road win for them against Boise. Um, and, and when you look at the top of the seed list, and that's where we'll start with our, our number one seeds, all these teams have really been able to move the needle on in every way. Let's go reveal them right now. Uh, we have... Purdue, UConn, Houston, and North Carolina. The same group we had last week on Friday, same group we had on Monday. So no changes. Purdue uh, found a way to win on the road against Rutgers. Didn't necessarily play great, but, you know, survived. Uh, UConn blew the doors off of Xavier at home. An impressive win for them. Improved some of their uh, some of their metrics. Houston leading into a game tonight on the road at Texas. Stays on the one line in North Carolina, holding on against Florida State. Um I guess where I would start with these, and I'll go to you, Andy, first. Um, what does the battle look like between Purdue and UConn for that overall number one spot? And maybe you can also explain a little bit why that matters uh, in the grand scheme for, for, for fans of the bracket. Yeah, I, I think as you look at the implications of, of who gets gets what, I mean, the, the one the top overall seed basically gets to pick their uh, their path now. I'm not so sure that for both these teams, it's kind of clear where they'd want to be. And that's probably where they would shake out, even if they ended up one and two. Um, you do have as the number one overall seed. And in theory, you'd get paired up with the region who has the number four. 
uh, overall seed. So maybe that helps you a little bit if you believe there's a, a big drop off uh, there. But that's kind of why it matters. In, in terms of the two teams, uh, one I was told that as uh, an IU fan and the, the host of an IU postgame show, I would not have to say nice things about Purdue on here. But here we are again uh, talking about them. They, they're first in the resume metrics, second in quality metrics, uh, in, in both of the quality metrics. So a really strong resume backed up by predictives. Uh, they have the most Q1 wins uh, of anybody in the country. They're tied with UConn for that, but they have the most uh, Q1 and 2 wins combined at 12, most quad 1A wins at 5. Uh, so really not a huge gap between the two, but I, I do think there is uh, some separation between the two just as you look at that. UConn ranks, um, you, know, you know, their resume average is 4.5. Their quality average 4.5. Um, they're 9 or 10 and 2 uh, against the top two quadrants. So, you know, not a, not a huge difference, but uh, I do think Purdue has a little bit of an edge there based on uh, some of the really high-end uh, neutral court wins in particular that they've picked up. Now, the difference is in the Big Ten, uh, they travel to Wisconsin over the weekend, and that's going to be a big game for them. That's there, there just aren't a lot of great, great Big Ten wins to pick up this year, but winning at the Kohl Center would certainly be one of them. So that game takes on some additional importance for them versus UConn with, with some of the other uh, highly seeded teams in the Big East just a few more opportunities for some of those uh, top, top end wins. Rocco, do you see things similarly? And how much does beating Xavier by 43? Like when, when, when you play like that and you're so dominant, I mean, it passes the eye test, but how much does that move the needle from a committee standpoint? Well, at this level, it, it's not too significant, just based on the fact that these are the two best teams that we're comparing in the entire country, 362 teams. So, um, to move the needle, you really have to splash with a big road win or at least a one, what we would call a quad 1A win, which is the top half of quad one. And to me, that's why it's really easy to put Purdue first because they have five of those to UConn's three. And then you go down the line and Purdue's just got a few extra wins in, in two of the other categories. They're 12 and two in the top two quads, whereas UConn's 10 and two. Purdue's also 16 and two, which shows they have a a much tougher schedule than UConn has had in non-conference uh, to UConn just being 10 and two in the top three quads. So six extra wins there. Again, we're comparing uh, small categories, but it just seems Purdue leads the charge in all of them. They're nine and two away neutral to UConn seven and two. And then um, in the, just the top two quad away true road games produced four and two in that area, whereas UConn's just three and two. So they're vo both extremely strong. It's just, in the uh, Purdue's just got a tiny bit more evidence across the board that they belong at number one. Um, I guess the one thing UConn has over Purdue is that uh, they have beat a road team that was in most people's field in Villanova. Purdue still needs that. And then they also have a win against a fellow number one seed when they beat North Carolina. So UConn has those two things going for them as we look to the future. And then what that means, you asked that a little bit earlier, Kevin, is uh, just for kind of anybody new to the bracket exercise, all four one seeds will actually be placed in order around the regions. So it you know, never really happens except for once ever. But if all four number one seeds happen to make the final four, it's set up to where the number one seed overall will play the fourth number one seed in one side of the bracket. And on the other side, it'll be the second number one seed playing the third number one seed on the other side of the bracket. So from that standpoint, it starts to matter there. But otherwise, geographically, UConn is going to get Boston and probably go to Brooklyn for the first two rounds. And Purdue is going to get Indianapolis in the first two rounds and go on to Detroit. It doesn't matter what order they're in. They're going to get those cities in this case. 
the geographic component, obviously, something a lot of fans care about. So uh, I, I think the most important thing for, for both those fan bases is just staying on the one line uh, and getting an opportunity to play closer to home throughout the uh, throughout the tournament before heading out to Phoenix for the Final Four. All right, let's go to the bubble. Uh, that's the other thing everybody wants to talk about every week, uh, and for good reason. Uh, start with you, Andy. Your, your last four in, what does it look like? Yeah, so my last four in uh, were Seton Hall, Florida, Washington State, and Providence. Uh, so with Seton Hall, high net, that, that's not ideal. What ended up getting them over the top for me at this point was four quad one wins. Typically feels like you get down to, to the end, those high-end wins kind of carry the day. So that was enough for them to stay in uh, for me at this point. Wins over UConn and Marquette at home uh, and a couple of notable road wins as well uh, are there. They have one they just can't really afford to lose this week when they go to DePaul. Uh, Florida, somewhat surprising uh, to me as I went through the exercise and had them in. It, realistically for them, uh, they, they rank well in pretty much all the metrics across the board, even though they don't have the volume of top, top-end wins that some other teams do. Mississippi State, really their only uh, win over a team uh, in the field, at least in the at-large field. Um, but they get a couple chances this week, big road games at Kentucky, at Texas A&M, to, to really solidify their case or hurt their case one way or the other. Washington State uh, beating Arizona, Colorado, Utah, uh, all at home. A neutral court win over Boise is solid as well. Uh, Non-conference strength schedule is not very good uh, at all, but again, felt like some of the top-end wins were uh, were important, even though they have uh, a Q3 loss uh, in the mix as well. They only play at Washington this week, so another chance to pick up a road win. And then Providence was the last team in. I, I looked at a few teams for the last uh, for the last one in. The Bryce Hopkins injury looms large. They did at least survive uh, over the weekend playing uh, Georgetown. They've beaten Wisconsin. They've beaten Marquette. Uh, again, how to look at this team without Bryce Hopkins is still a little bit difficult. And you have a week like this one where you go to UConn and to Villanova, a chance to prove what you can be without him in a couple uh, difficult games there. But uh, they were my last team in. I, I, I would say maybe not with strong, strong conviction as uh, a lot of the teams around the uh, around the cut line are somewhat uninspiring, depending upon what you're looking for. Rocco, your last four? I, I would agree with Andy, and just in terms of, you know, when you're looking at the bubble right now, there's, uh, when we go through these last four in, and then and the next four out, there's a lot of reasons to leave them out, and, and not enough reasons to put them in, but you gotta put somebody in at this point. So I'll, I'll just say that, and I'll also preference with the, with the fact that I treat all 32 leagues as their own separate entities, and so whichever team is on the inside track to the number one seed gets the automatic qualifier. So right now I have three bid stealers in my bracket. So if you want to treat that, you know, as there won't be any bid stealers, you can include the three teams uh, in my top of my first four out list as in. Uh, I'll digress from there, but my last four in today are Boise State, Florida, Seton Hall, and Virginia. And um, I'll begin to explain that. So Boise State's had a mix of results, of course, just took a home loss to Utah State. Um, good tournament wins over Colorado State and San Diego State at home, a neutral court win that's looking better by the day against St. Mary's. Uh, but on the road, uh, that Nevada win they got that looked so big two weeks ago, Nevada's really starting to fade now, uh, just getting clobbered yesterday at New Mexico and also losing to Wyoming about a week ago. Um, so the resume score for Boise State is only coming in at 56th in the country. That alone would, would raise eyebrows on the committee, and you have that bad loss at home to UNLV. The thing I love about the Broncos compared to most of these teams is a top 30 schedule, almost 
none of the rest of the bubble has a schedule that strong. So uh, Bronco fans, be happy that your coach is scheduled well for you. That gets them in right now. For Florida, of course, you do not like the fact that they're 0-6 in their six toughest games. But after that, they're perfect. Uh, no bad losses. And that Mississippi State home win, which is really their only tournament-level uh, home win or any kind of win, um, now means a little bit more with Mississippi State playing better. Uh, Florida's just, you know, they've had a decent enough schedule at 114th. They do have a quad two road win at Missouri. So there's just a little bit there to put the Gators in when you compare them to some of these others. Um, so I've got the Gators in. Seton Hall, again, you can scrutinize them to death. They have great wins over UConn, Marquette, St. John's. Road win at Providence, uh, but they're just seven and eight now in meaningful games. They've had a couple games without Kadari Richmond. If Richmond comes back and they start playing like they were before, you know, they will be evaluated perhaps a little differently. And they have great, great road win as well at Butler, who's now on the on the bubble. Uh, and then you have Virginia, last but not least, really tough one for me to put in. But the Cavs, besides the loss at Notre Dame, um, they they just don't have a lot of great, they don't have a lot of horrible. They're kind of floating around in that mid-40s range across the, the metrics, and um, they don't have a terrible schedule. So, I, uh, strength of schedule, I should say. So, uh, I had to hold my nose a little bit, but the Cavs squeezed in this morning. All right. Well, we've got those four. Now for the grand reveal, our consensus last four in. Who's in? Who's out? Seton Hall, uh, who we mentioned, the metrics potentially a concern, but the big wins – Certainly jumping off the page. Washington State in the field. Uh, Kyle Smith uh, and the, the Cougs in the Pac-12 are, are making some noise. Providence off of the win over Georgetown over the weekend sneaks in. And then our last team in the field is Florida, uh, you know, despite that quad one record. Um, you know, big picture, obviously, things can change. Things are very fluid, as Rocco said. Um, some of the challenges we have with uh, big stealers and whatnot and trying to project that in January is challenging, but uh, I'm sure for, for all those fan bases, uh, they'd rather hear their name today than not. Uh, Andy, I know you had Washington State in that last four in. They do sneak into the field. Uh, give us some, some background here. It seems like they've really risen here lately. Uh, had another big win over Utah over the weekend. What do you like about this Washington State resume and, and, and where do you think they can wind up here uh, as we approach February. Yeah, they're, they're right around 50th in both sets of metrics when you average those out. So they're not eliminating themselves with egregious numbers one way or the other on, on those. Uh, I think what you really like is the top end wins, being able to beat an Arizona who's a, a, a two seed at this point for me, close to the one seed conversation if they can continue to string together some wins uh, after a few questionable losses. The Boise State winning on neutral court is good. Uh, you know, they do have a couple of questionable losses, losing at Cal, albeit in overtime, losing to Santa Clara. But there's very few teams right around the cut line that don't have some warts. So uh, in that regard, they're, they're kind of like everybody else. They're four and five in road neutral games, so not terrible uh, there. So I, I think there's, you know, some things to like w with them at that point. And part of that part of it also is just looking at some of the other teams. You have Virginia, who Rocco mentioned I had as one of the first couple teams out. You know, it's pretty easy to find reasons to to not put in a team like that. So I tend to, at this point in the season, lean toward if you got a couple top end wins, that seemed to me to probably be a bit more important at this stage of things uh, with two Q one wins and and six and a six and five mark against the top two quadrants. All right, let's let's show our first four out now. 
um, give us an idea of who we are missing from the field. Um, yeah, Andy, why don't you why don't you lead us off first four out? Who do we miss, uh, and who, who wh- wh- how how can they improve their standing here this week? Yeah, so the first one's Villanova. Um, it, it's hard to kind of look at historical precedent sometimes when you're in January, but the reality is that you know two games over 500, not really going to get it done. So they've got some really really top end wins, but at this point their resume metrics average out in the 60s, which is typically not a good sign. Uh, and so they were one that for me was largely even left out because just they're only two games over 500 uh, at this point. Even though, like I said, they do have some. Uh, some really good wins. So for them, the, the road back into the field is just to win games and get yourself enough clear of 500. Uh, and the resume metrics should take care of themselves. They've got Marquette and Providence this week. Those are chances to do that and really improve those numbers as well. Uh, Colorado is a little bit the opposite. The metrics all look really good. And then you look down at who they've beaten and they beat Washington State, who's in the field. They've swept Washington, beat Oregon at home. So a lot of fringe wins over over bubble teams and so the metrics look good but a little bit hard kind of using the lens that i was talking about before if you're looking for you know top end wins they don't really have a lot they are six and six in the top two quadrants but five of those wins fall in quad two so a little bit tough there they're only three and six in road neutral games so the metrics look good not sure the overall quality of the wins looks as good virginia rocco touched on i think there's arguments to be made to put them in the field they did beat florida our neutral court, they beat in Texas A&M, they beat Virginia Tech at home, who's another bubble team uh, that I that was in my my last four. But their losses have all come by at least 16 points, uh, even the one at Notre Dame. So when they've lost, they've lost badly, and that's really had an impact on some of the metrics uh, on their end. And then Virginia Tech, again, I kind of go back to who have you beaten? They beat Iowa State and Boise State on neutral courts. They beat Clemson at home. Best road wins at NC State, which is not a terrible one uh, by any stretch. So for me, they have some uh, quality wins, but they're just four and seven against the top two quadrants and seven and seven against the top three. So, yeah, but but one of the things that Rocco mentioned was, you know, strength of schedule. Theirs was 52, I believe, when I looked at it today. And over the next couple of teams I had, which were Kansas State and Cincinnati, that was way better than either of those teams. So they kind of got the nod as that, you know, fourth team out for for that reason, if, if nothing else. Virginia in particular feels like a very interesting team to track here. Four wins in a row. Rocco now has them in the field just outside uh, for Andy. Uh, Rocco, we're, we're going to let you reveal now your first four out as well. Uh, who missed the cut for you? Yeah, so just missing the cut. The first two are pretty easy. Uh, it's Washington State and Nebraska. And then uh, after that, we have Big East bubbleliciousness with uh, Providence and Butler. Um, but We'll start with Washington State and Nebraska. I think both are very interesting cases. Now, Washington State checks in this morning with the 312th ranked non-conference strength of schedule. And Nebraska checked in this morning with the 317th ranked non-conference strength of schedule. And it's just been my experience studying this over the years and really just going back and researching. Uh, typically, if you're anywhere near 300 or, or certainly this far above it, um, it's almost a de facto eliminator. And so it's just really, really difficult for me to put a team in the field when we're that close to the cut. I will say this for Washington State and Nebraska. They both have great wins. Of course, Nebraska's beaten Purdue, Northwestern, Michigan State all at home. They have that nice road win at Kansas State by 16 points. Um, But, uh, you know, and Washington State has Arizona, Utah, Colorado, neutral court, Boise as 
Andy pointed out well. Um, if they were in a different part of the, the seeding process, if they were both already in the field, they would actually win some of these comparisons against Virginia and Florida for me. But I think this whole part of the process is looked at so differently for selection that um, you have to almost to get, guess the committee would leave them both out at this level. Um, so that's the explanation for the Huskers and the Cougars. And then going on to Providence, you know, I had Providence uh, right in the same spot on Friday. Um, although the fireworks of Saturday were incredible, Devin Carter, one of the best shows. Kevin, I believe you were there. Um, you know, we, it's one of those moments throughout the season I think all of us will remember. But in Bracketology, it was a quad four win, fellas. So Providence didn't really change overnight. They're still five and six against the top three quadrants. And um, that's just not getting it done, really, for a team where their best road win is against fellow uh, bubble team Seton Hall. And, of course, it's post-Hopkins play where they're still looking for that big splash, which it was at Seton Hall so far. If they can continue to play at this level and beat some other Big East teams that are at the top, uh, a lot will change for the Friars. And for Butler, welcome back to the, to the stage. They've, they've, you know, they felt like a bubble team earlier this year. They had a pretty good non-conference uh, season. That road win at Marquette earlier is aging so well. Um, so that keeps has kept them interesting. Now they add a, a Villanova win in a game where basically they were done for. Um, I don't know. I can't remember exactly. I think they were up uh, down 11 with a couple minutes left. They end up winning that thing in double overtime. And that Texas Tech win has aged like fine wine. The Boise State win in uh, their MTE has aged well. So even though the Bulldogs are four and seven against the top two quads, which is which is for me why they're still out, um, they're starting to get a lot closer, and their resume metric is right at fifty. Ideally, they want to get that into the top forty-five. So so Butler's right in the mix for me, but just barely out. Um. Big East certainly hovering right around the bubble there. Providence, Butler, uh, Villanova uh, should make for an interesting final month and a half or so of, of, of league play. Uh, let's reveal our consensus. First four out where we stand. Villanova, Princeton, uh, who, uh, as we said, is a kind of interesting case, not necessarily automatic qualifier after the loss to Cornell, has an interesting resume. Cincinnati from the big in the mix, and then Virginia Tech. Uh, who I believe Andy mentioned as a, as a potential team right around the cut line. Uh, quickly here, guys, uh, 30 seconds each. Andy, your, your big takeaway from that, and then Rocco, yours. Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on Cincinnati briefly. Uh, you know, they have really good quality metrics, but just not enough quantity of quality wins yet. That win at BYU was great, beating TCU at home and, and UCF over the weekend. That's good. They've had a ton of close losses uh, to, to really good teams and have missed out, I think, you know, five, four or five of their losses are by five points or less to some really good teams. So, um, But right now, if you look, uh, you know, they've got eight of their wins against quad four. So that becomes difficult. 303rd ranked strength of schedule becomes difficult. So for me, they just have more work to do. We've got a couple of road games this week against West Virginia, uh, which won't move the needle, but does give a chance to another road win, and they go to Texas Tech. So for me, that's – they were – a couple teams out of my uh, next four out. So understand that there are some things to like, just not enough, uh, not enough on the resume at this point for me. Rocco, yeah, anything there? Yeah, Villanova's jumping off the page. Now, I know a couple of the uh, our fellow panelists probably had them out. I think Andy had them out. I have no problem with it. Like, I'm typically the guy, if you're two games under 500 in meaningful games, which Villanova's seven and nine, uh, I'm the one who always leaves them out. 
I just think the, the mix of results for Villanova is fascinating because these four wins they have are all away from Philadelphia, wins over North Carolina, Texas Tech, Memphis, all on neutral courts, and the huge road win at Creighton. It's just crazy because that those wins are so much better than the rest of the bubble. It's not even it's not even close. Um, so I just had a really difficult time keeping them out. I kept them out of Dayton to avoid the controversy. Um, but I can totally understand why the rest of the, the panel left them off. All right, folks, uh, we have to go to break. When we come back, conference breakdowns, SEC, Big 12, lots to get to. See you on the other side. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for the listeners and the viewers of the Field of 68 each and every week of the college basketball season. We have a special offer that will be available starting on Tuesday, January 9th, and running through Monday, February 12th, the morning after Super Bowl 58. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, in honor of the big game, you can use the bonus code FIELD158 and you'll get $158 in free bets on your first wager with BetMGM, regardless of whether or not you win that first bet. Here's how you make it work. Download the BetMGM app. Sign up using the bonus code FIELD158. Deposit at least $5 and place your first wager on any game. You'll receive $158 in bonus bets regardless of the outcome of your bet. Just make sure that you use that bonus code FIELD158 when you sign up. And remember, BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly, which happens quite a bit. When you cross state borders, you just log into your existing account and fire away. You don't have to create separate accounts in each state. It's easy, it's simple, it's clean. And most importantly, we have some fun stuff coming up for the heart of the college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops, odd boosts, and my favorite, a nice juicy parlay boost. So download the BetMGM app and sign up today. Field 158. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Fielding the 68, week two, presented by Rhythm, Andy Bottoms, Rocco Miller, Kevin Sweeney. Uh, breaking down our bracket, we just did our last four in, our first four out. Uh, and now it's time for our conference breakdowns. We've been doing these as we work our way through the early portion, just to give people kind of a big picture sense of where things stand. Uh, we're starting the SEC, uh, where things have gotten very interesting at the top. Obviously, Tennessee, Kentucky. Auburn had been in that conversation, probably it slipped a little bit after a pair of losses last week. Um, even Alabama with the tremendous metrics. I'd be curious to think what you, how, you, how you guys see those two teams. Uh, but uh, I think where we want to start is the potential impact on the number one line. Tennessee seems, at least to me, the less skilled bracketologist. Tennessee seems like the team that stands out over Kentucky. Uh, Rocco, Andy. Are they the clear favorite amongst SEC teams to play in that, to, to be in that mix for the top spot? And, and if so, can Kentucky do anything to catch them? Yeah, absolutely. I think Tennessee is right there as the fifth overall team in the country. So if any of these one seeds slip or slip multiple times, Tennessee will, will be a one seed in our brackets in no time, as long as the balls continue to handle their business. Now, in terms of Kentucky or, or anybody else at the top here with Auburn and Alabama also kind of in the mix, um, you know, they'll get their cracks at Tennessee, right? They play each other, I believe, two more times, so starting this Saturday. And so if Kentucky sweeps that series and they handle their business, that, that opportunity is, is right there for them. Um, and without looking at the schedule too close, I, I know Tennessee's got to go back to Alabama. They beat them at home. Um, you know, Alabama will have their cracks as well. So I think there's just so much runway left. We've got 11 or 12 games to go for each of these teams. Um, a lot can happen in either direction. But for today, uh, Tennessee is clearly that team ready to take the number one seed jump. They're just waiting for somebody to fall. Um, and that's my overall outlook with it. What about you, Andy? Yeah, for me, Tennessee is the clear one. I think then you get into this other jumble where Kentucky, Alabama, Auburn, I have basically within four spots of one another on the seed list. I actually have them all on the four line. Uh, and so it depends what you're looking for as to, as to you know maybe who you like. Uh, Rocco touched on Kentucky already. I think there's a lot of people who are really high on them. Beat North Carolina, that win uh, is, is a great one. Otherwise, their best wins are at Florida and against Mississippi State, who are bubble-ish teams at this point. So they really just need, and, and the schedule will certainly allow for this, some more top-end wins. They've got two quad one wins uh, there. But their quality metrics lag a little bit behind what Alabama and Auburn are. So to the extent you believe those are, are what drives a lot of the seeding, maybe there's an uphill battle and, and style points matter in terms of how they would win some of those games. A Alabama is interesting because their quality metrics are fantastic. They currently average out at you know, 6.5. So uh, really high there. They just have six losses at this point, which is you know more than more than either of the other two teams. So, can they get on a run and be able to to just rack up some wins and and hope that others come back to them a little bit? Uh, but they've got you know some some solid wins over Auburn at home, South Carolina at home. 
need to do some damage on the road uh, at Mississippi State. It's really the biggest uh, win that they uh, have away from home. Uh, and, and the Ohio State loss, which probably at the time didn't seem all that impactful, uh, they've kind of fallen off a cliff, so that, that doesn't help them either. And then Auburn is is unique. I think they, they had some discussion on the show last week. Quality metrics are really good. Resume metrics you know, are decent, but no quad one wins. They do have six in quad two, six and four road neutral games. So have done some good things. Uh, the Appalachian State loss is, you know, certainly doesn't look good on the team sheet. Uh, App State has proven to be a really strong team sweeping James Madison in the Sun Belt, but still, you know, that for a team that doesn't have any quad one wins can can be harmful there. So, you know, I think in everybody's, you know, in the case of Kentucky and Auburn, really have to win some of these top end games. Alabama, I think, is just keep winning, period. Um, and, and try to get to a point where maybe the fact they have an extra loss or two compared to some of the other teams in the mix uh, doesn't matter as much. Yeah, Rocco, I, I think Alabama is maybe the most interesting team resume in, in the country. I mean, the schedule that they play in the non-conference, not only the big names like Purdue and Arizona and Creighton, but even like they played yeah. Clemson in the ACC, SEC. They played Indiana State in a bye game, even Moorhead State in a bye game, who's you know, the favorite in the Ohio Valley, 16-5 and five overall. Like, they have been through some battles already, and it just felt like they were waiting to finally break through and have a big win. They got one last week against Auburn. How much has has wins like that changed the perception of Alabama, which already had those elite metrics? And, and do you view it like Andy? Like, they just have to keep stacking total wins that the resume is in good shape? And how, how do you view it? Yeah, I do. And, and you know, it's a credit to Nate Oates and his staff. Every year they do this. There's been two years where they were the only team in the country that didn't have a quad four game at all. And they so it's it's been part of the strategy since day one, since he got the job. This year I think they had four landing quad four, but you can tell teams like, uh, like you said, East, uh, we have Eastern Kentucky who's winning the A-Sun. You have Moorhead State who's winning the OVC. Obviously Indiana State's very good. South Alabama is a tough local regional game every year. Um, and there's so many more benefits than just bracketology to that. It makes your team tougher. You have all these different types of styles you get to go up against and prepares you for a loaded SEC where you get all these different styles uh, as well. So I think I think that's where you see Alabama start to turn this corner in a lot of seasons uh, so far under Oates and certainly trending that way again. But Andy's right. Like right now, they're still five and six against the top two quadrants. So they just got to keep staying hot. Those wins will start to balance in the other direction. Um, you know, even for me, based on just the way the committees seeded these teams the last few years, uh, with their performance metrics being an average of six and a half in the country, um, that was enough for me to give them that last three seed today. I know some people still have them down on the five line or even, uh, I guess, more commonly on the four line. But um, I, I think Alabama is the most dangerous team. And I think when you're seeding and there's not a clear answer, you kind of reward the, the danger team. And that would be the tide. Okay, just for clarity's sake here, you guys are both in agreement that Tennessee is the best of the SEC teams in terms of seeding right now. Um, is number two yeah. for you Alabama, Rocco? Yeah, Alabama's two, and then I have both Auburn and Kentucky on the four line today. So uh, I think the the beauty for the whole league there, Kevin, real quick, is just that if they if they stay in, if those four stay in position to be what we call protected seeds in the top sixteen overall, that gives the rest of the league bites at the apple on the regular. And that's going to help them perhaps get a ninth team in the field, which for me today, Florida was that ninth team in the field. Andy, your order just quick. 
Yeah, I had Kentucky uh, basically two spots ahead of Alabama, so both in the mix for that uh, that three seed, and then Auburn my last four seed. So, like I said, all pretty bunched together, all within four spots of each other on the seed list. Um, all right. SEC should be interesting, as Rocco said. Certainly opportunities there for those bubble teams. Florida, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, teams like that. Uh, to the Big 12 we go. Uh, you know, We're used to talking about Kansas and Baylor at the top, but I think the thing that I think is most interesting about the league right now is this middle. And obviously a little different now, a 14-team league, not, not the double-round robin grinder with you know everybody in the mix for the tournament, but uh, still just a number of interesting teams. Uh, whether it's Iowa State, Texas Tech, who's surging, Kansas State, Oklahoma, who's coming off a couple of tough losses, TCU, who we mentioned at the top. Um, I'm curious for you guys, is there a team that stands out in that group um, that either is the best resume or, or maybe just the most interesting resume? I'll start with you, Andy. Yeah, there's there's a couple. I'll touch on. I, I know I mentioned Texas Tech before. They've really shot up the seed list, um, and so I think they they are are fairly intriguing. The resume metrics are uh, are solid. The quality metrics as well. They just need more wins. They got nine wins in Q4. That's really what makes them uh, interesting to a certain extent. So they have a lot of chances to fix that. Winning at Texas and at uh, Oklahoma certainly help establish what kind of team they are and can be. Uh, BYU and Kansas State wins. Uh, all their losses are in Q1. So at this point, it's just needing to see more of them against good teams because they didn't put themselves in that position very much in the non-conference. And in contrast, Alabama, as Rocco mentioned a minute ago. And then TCU is another one that feels like they moved up the C list similar to what Texas Tech did a couple weeks ago where they start to pick up wins and then uh, you know the metrics matter a bit more uh, and some of those things. So I think you look at them. Uh, they've won at Baylor, you know, that win at Baylor, beat Houston at home. Those are two really high end wins. Only one loss in Q2, which was to Nevada on a neutral court, which uh, looks a little bit worse after Nevada got drubbed at the pit last night. Uh, but overall, they're three and five in the top two quadrants. They have eight quad four wins, um, but they are six and four in neutral, neutral games. So those two are the ones that are kind of interesting where there's not a lot of meat there. They have a ton of quad four games compared to some other teams. Um, but I think you've started to see enough that if they can back up these good wins with additional ones as they continue going through uh, Big 12 play, then can kind of validate, yeah, this really is the team that was able to win some of these big league games and, and not necessarily the one that we entered conference play not knowing a great deal about. Texas, certainly a good example of a team that can can rise quickly and the proof of, of how strong this league is, that, that it only takes a week, uh, a strong week. Uh, can certainly change their fortunes, and uh, Texas has an opportunity to, to rise quite a bit more when they host Houston tonight. Uh, that is a big one, uh, I believe, at 9 Eastern time. Uh, Rocco, uh, you are the scheduling guru here. You have, you have banged the drum throughout this show and every time you're on this platform. Um, I think it's so interesting when you look at a lot of these Big 12 teams. Um, a lot of them played very weak non-conference schedules, and, and – to a degree, I'm sure you make it up because you're playing so many quad one games every night in, in league play. But when you look at, you know, Iowa State, 338th ranked non-conference schedule per Ken Palm, um, 318 for Oklahoma, um, TCU, another one that was not a great non-conference schedule, 339. Like, help us help us understand how that matters, right? Because on one hand, you're playing all these great games in league play you have all these opportunities for for quad one quad two wins but 
you mentioned earlier that it has somewhat been an eliminator in the past if you're not playing those games in the non-conference. Do you think these teams will be hurt on Selection Sunday by how they scheduled in the non-conference? Well, the Big 12, it's the ultimate question, Kevin, because there's, so, there's two different trains of thought, and both have worked and both have backfired. So just in general sense, Iowa State's been the flag bearer of this strategy, I think, since the net started, or at least the, maybe the next year. Um, it was either last year, I believe it was the year before last, Iowa State was still able to have a non-conference schedule that was pretty poor, similar to this year, um, go 7-11 and 11 in the league. But in those seven wins, I think like five of them were either big-time marquee wins or a couple of them were big marquee road wins. And then, of course, went undefeated in uh, non-conference, like I, th- I think they came close to doing this year and they've done before. And it was enough to get in. Uh, so that's the, that's always the big question. Does it work? Because once you're, once you have those marquee wins and your resume solidified, you can be as bad as seven 11. If you go perfect in non-league or just have a single loss, it's a math game for the big 12 on the flip side. You could be like Oklahoma state last year, Oklahoma state last year took three non-conference losses, a couple upsets. I remember a home loss, I believe to Southern Illinois, maybe another upset home loss in by games. And then the math started to work against Oklahoma State when they got to league play. They still had some really nice wins, but once they hit loss overall number 15, Oklahoma State was de facto NIT team. There was no way for them to get in. The, the committee and all the tournament brackets over, over time for at-large bids have taught us you almost always have to be at least three games over 500 for your total record against Division One, And only twice ever, I believe, you can be two games over 500 and get in. So that becomes a problem if you've lost non-league games. Um, so overall, I think that's the that's the trick is you know do you have do you have it gamed enough to where you're going to go 12 and one or 13 and 0 in non-league and then you can just go 500 in league and make it through. Uh, that's always the dilemma I think for coaches. But Iowa State is certainly all in on the on the week non-conference and then we think we're good enough to go 500 in league. Certainly, obviously, non-conference scheduling an inexact science. Um, Oklahoma, a team, obviously, they played a lot of bye games against weak competition, but they also played Iowa, USC, Arkansas, and Carolina, uh, all on neutral floors. And you know, just some of those games, particularly the Arkansas and, and USC ones, just haven't haven't aged quite as well. But uh, certainly, an interesting calculus for for teams uh, as they approach scheduling, and it'll be interesting to see if anyone is. Uh, is harmed come selection Sunday and, and, and misses the cut because of it. Uh, we will head to break. When we come back, a whip around the country. We've got thoughts on bubble teams, big movers, and a couple of teams with no quadrant one one still that we're still looking at. We'll be right back. There is nothing in sports better than the heart of the college basketball season, which is why I need to tell you guys about our partners over at Rhythm. If you're into sports betting, you need Rhythm, the place for data-backed props and picks. For those that are unfamiliar, Rhythm, spelled R-I-T-H-M-M, is the go-to mobile app for player props and game picks. Backed by AI predictive models, Rhythm helps you make smarter and faster betting decisions across all sports, but particularly college hoops, where there are as many as 150 games a day during conference play. 
many of which have softer lines at BetMGM than you'll find in the NFL or the NBA. With Rhythm, you get data-backed picks for every Division I game every day. Users get free picks daily with the ability to upgrade to unlimited access. And for those of you already using modeling, you can build custom sports betting models within the Rhythm app itself. I am a Rhythm user, and I found that I've been a better better when I focus on lines where my gut and Rhythm's modeling are aligned. When I think UConn can cover on the road against Butler and Rhythm backs that up, we fire. But Rhythm also helps lead you to plays that you didn't know you needed to make. Like, for example, when the data says bet the over in UMass Lowell versus New Hampshire because you have a 61% edge on that line, you bet the over and you bink. So if you want to increase your edge and win more bets, go to the link in the description below and download Rhythm today. That's R-I-T-H-M-M, the place for data-backed props and picks. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Fielding the 68 after a wild weekend in college hoops. I am Kevin Sweeney, joined by Andy Bottoms and Rocco Miller. Uh, been a great show so far, presented, of course, by Rhythm. Uh, lots more still to get to here in our final segment of the day. Wanted to start, guys, with some interesting teams that are still without a Quadrant 1 win. We mentioned Auburn last segment, a uh, team that's still hunting for that big win. I feel pretty confident that Auburn's going to be in the NCAA tournament regardless. But there's some bubble teams now that could desperately use a big win or two that haven't gotten them yet. Maybe that wasn't a concern in November. It wasn't a concern in December, but after a month of league play, still not having one, those alarm bells, I imagine, starting to ring. So a few of those teams, Florida, Gonzaga, Wake Forest, an Iowa team that's you know top 50 in, in some of the metrics, probably a little bit further down the, the list in terms of the bubble consideration, but not out of it. Uh, I'm curious, guys, Like, is there a team among that group that you – uh, you think stands out from a resume standpoint that can overcome the lack of wins? I mean, I, I, I think Gonzaga is probably the team that's probably most interesting to me just because they don't get a ton of these outside of St. Mary's. And then San Francisco, I know, is, is strong on the metrics as well. Rocky, you want to take that one? Yeah, I, I'll touch on Gonzaga. I think they're they're a fascinating uh, example just based on the fact that, you know, that some of these non-conference wins that we thought were uh, significant, both L.A. schools – at the time, we thought those were good wins. They, the LA schools were having historically bad years. And um, they beat Syracuse, who we didn't expect much of, and for a hot second became a tournament team, but now they're not again after getting beat at home by Florida State. So um, Gonzaga is in this weird spot where they got to root for some of these teams they would beat. Like, if you're a Gonzaga fan, you root for UCLA to get a heck of a lot better like they've been the last two weeks um, and things like that to help like try to show that this non-conference schedule, which ranks 45th in the country, was valuable. Uh, but as it stands today, they just don't have a quad one win, as you said. They don't have a road win either in the top two quads. Uh, and all that's really left, they got to hold serve against all these uh, WCC schools who are, you know, fourth and below. They'll get San Francisco in the Chase Center, 
which will count as a true road game, I believe, uh, which is where the Warriors play. And then, of course, starting this Saturday, they host St. Mary's and then the final day of the season play at St. Mary's. Um, and those those dates are just going to keep uh, compounding. But the, the, the real key for Gonzaga is how they perform at Kentucky, uh, which is like two Saturdays away. So uh, really the, the entire West Coast Conference is looking forward to that and cheering Gonzaga on to help bring the league metrics up. Um, but it's a, it's a fascinating case study because all the other pieces of evidence suggest that Gonzaga is good enough to be a tournament team. They're 31 in the net, 22 in like the Ken Palms and in and, and that range. So um, it, it is interesting, but they need help from outside and they've got to uh, find a way to win a combination of these games that are left. And Gonzaga yeah. certainly get through with the auto bid, obviously. Sorry, Andy, cut you off there. Yeah, I think with Gonzaga, yeah, with yeah, with, with Gonzaga, you, the thing really holding them back right now, their resume metrics are both really bad. Uh, they're both sub-60 at this point. I think Wake Forest, their resume metrics aren't demonstrably better, but at least they're closer to 50th. Um, and to the extent that we believe that the resume metrics matter more for selection, you know, there's an argument to be made that Wake has a more compelling case at this point. If, they, if Gonzaga can perform well in those games uh, that Rocco mentioned, I think that can, can certainly change because the quality metrics favor uh, Gonzaga for sure. You know, with Wake, you look, only had two quad one opportunities in total, but but missed out on both of them. They are five and four in Q2, don't have a, a Q3 or Q4 loss, but they're two and six in road neutral games uh, with a lot of their losses coming at you know, not terrible, you know, not terrible losses. They all fall in, in Q2, losing at Georgia, at Florida State, at NC State. Um, but most of their best wins conversely have come at home as a result of not being able to do that. So beating Florida helps for bubble purposes and Virginia and Virginia Tech, all teams we mentioned in that uh, in that first four out, last four in conversation. But they haven't really done anything away from home and uh, being able to do that would improve the resume metrics, which is uh, not great for them. But the quality metrics are, are, are not terrible for them either. But that's um, the gulf between those two metrics for Gonzaga is what really makes them interesting coming down the you know, the remainder of the season, if they can really pick up some of those big wins. Sneaky quad one opportunity on Wednesday night for Wake Forest at Pittsburgh. That will be an interesting game to watch. If you are a, if you're a fan of the ACC, want to maximize bids, uh, that would certainly be a game that you would want Wake Forest to win. Uh, let's, hit, let's hit some other teams that have had interesting last few days. Uh, first, I'll, I'll ask Rocco, our, our, our West Coast, although he's kind of an everywhere correspondent, but our West Coast guy, New Mexico dominating over Nevada. Obviously, Nevada team that has not played great lately, but New Mexico up to 15th in the net. I mean, obviously, they've done a ton of their work at home. They've got a lot left in league play against, you know, tricky road games. But, like, what's the ceiling here for New Mexico if they if they can cruise like they have so far lately? Yeah, dominating in the pit, like like you were tweeting about, Kevin, and and uh, that's paid dividends. These and, and even these last two road performances, even though most people will overlook Air Force and San Jose State, not always the funnest places to go to. They went and beat those teams by 19, 20 points. So um, they are really rolling with the performance metrics. And I think New Mexico kind of has taken all the doubt away, away from any kind of bubble concern. And once you're in that position, uh, what these last few committees have done is rewarded teams that perform to the dominant levels of a New Mexico. So for me, I moved them all the way up to 26th overall on the seed list, which makes them a really clean uh, seven seed today. 
Um, and of course, with the arrow shooting straight up now for them to actually get into like a top four seed, what we call protected seeds, they'll have to build a whole body of work that is impressive. That will include road wins, maybe a win at Viejas at San Diego State, maybe a win up in Logan, Utah at Utah State. So they'll be certainly challenged on the road with their remaining schedule. Uh, but if they play at this level and they go get those wins, um, they, the performance is already there. And that will just really solidify the body of work. Um, Andy, uh, another, a team maybe trending the opposite direction is Memphis. I know we talk a lot about Memphis on, on this show and this platform generally. But uh, what's the concern level here? I know they've built up a lot of goodwill in the non-conference, but three losses in a row, two of them are quad three games. They don't get as many opportunities in, in the American. Are they close to the bubble? Do they have more room to fall? The resume metrics are still good enough for me at this point, uh, but they're definitely trending in the wrong direction as you would compare them to, to somebody like uh, you know, what, we, what we just talked about with New Mexico. Uh, the, the quality metrics, on the other hand, use more for seeding, kind of push them down uh, a bit. I still have them as a nine, but I think you could make an argument that they could be a little bit lower uh, but they do have six wins against the top two quadrants. I think that's still uh, notable. They're seven and four in road and neutral games, winning at Texas Tech, um, beating Clemson at home, beating Virginia. Uh, you know, so they still have some solid wins. But that home loss to to South Florida, you know, losing at Tulane at UAB, you know, maybe you can drop one of those three games. I don't know. You know, dropping all three of them in succession is not doing and not doing them any favors. So. Their nets dropped all the way down to 66. And this is one of those where you look at it at the beginning of the year and you're kind of, when the resume metrics and the quality metrics don't line up in the way that theirs didn't, you have questions about when things are, when when is water going to find its level? It seems to be doing that right now. Uh, Now, I'm not sure that they're uh, quite as bad as they may have looked over the last few games. And uh, they've got four games in a row here, three of which are at home that they really need to take care of business in. Rice, Wichita State at Temple than Tulane at home. You know, they really cannot afford to stumble in those games before traveling to North Texas and SMU. So for them, these next you know, couple of weeks are a chance to, to get right, get back on track, and, uh, and solidify things. Obviously, winning's paramount. But beyond that, Andy, like if you're Memphis, like how important is it to get some style points, run up the score? I know that has obviously driven the net and, and some of those you know, efficiency, quality metrics. Like, like, is that something Penny Hardaway should be thinking about? Is how, how can we obviously first just thought it's like, all right, let's not use loose UAB. But like, if it's eight minutes left and you're up 10, like, how are you approaching that? Are you are you are you pushing the chips in and, and trying to, to get that a little extra edge? Uh, I mean, I think what New Mexico did to Nevada last night is kind of serves as the answer to your question to tie these two teams together. Uh, you know, they ended up winning by 30 plus, I believe, when that was all said and done. It wasn't necessarily that they left. Uh, the starters in all that long, they had a big push and then just kind of kept pouring it on uh, there toward the end. I, I think that's the challenge for coaches today is to try to figure out how you pay attention to that stuff, even in games you're losing. Like, do you try to manage to the margin versus I'm trying to keep guys from getting hurt? I'm trying to do some of these kinds of things. So it, it's difficult. I, I think for them, you, you probably have to try to err on the side of that a little bit, especially as you come into some of these you know games coming up where maybe you have a chance to do that. You get into the games at SMU and, and at North Texas, you're just trying to win those games because just winning those games in and of themselves help you enough. But over these next four, uh, style points would not be a bad thing, I don't think, for uh, for Memphis to, to, to try to tack on. 
right, one more team before we head to our, our games of the week, as we always do. A team that did not get any style points this, this weekend, Utah. Uh, they were without two starters, Lawson Lovering and Raleigh Wooster, but lost by a combined 47 points on the road at Washington State and at Washington. Now, those aren't bad teams, Rocco, right? I mean, Washington State was in our protected field. Washington is probably an NIT-level team. But at the same time, like, when you lose that badly, how damaging is that to a resume? Well, it's certainly hurting their quality metrics uh, pretty severely. And I think, you know, for Utah's sake for now, they're still, they're, they've still, still done enough good to outweigh the bad. And I think those injuries are, are critical because, you know, if you look at what else they can afford to take, they have, you know, a huge part of their schedule right right now with Colorado coming into town for one game this week. The nice thing there is it's only one game for this week. So uh, a little bit more time for Lovering and, and Warster to, you know, perhaps recover. We'll see how that plays out. But right after that, they'll host Arizona in their biggest home game of the year. Uh, the following Thursday, uh, I will be there, by the way, and then Arizona State on Saturday. So, um, you know, there's no rest for the wicked. And Utah, um, you know, I like this team a lot when they're fully able to deploy uh, Lovering, the extra seven footer and all the defenses that uh, Coach Smith can throw at you. But uh, as of now, in terms of resume, uh, they're basically holding on to what they've established earlier and, and free falling a little bit for seeding. I, they dropped all the way to a 10 seed for me. Uh, the, the good news, if you're the Utes, you're getting help from the St. Mary's team who just got got really hot, and that's a true road win. And a lot of teams, you know, once they start getting closer to the bubble, don't have that good of a road win. Utes certainly a team to watch for that big stretch uh, coming up here this weekend into next. Uh, all right, folks, let's wrap it up with our games of the week. Obviously, uh, we don't get – a slate like we did Saturday every day or next Saturday uh, every day. Uh, but some big games starting tonight, Duke at Virginia Tech. That's a potential bubble game to watch. Houston at Texas tonight uh, could have some meaning. Uh, what are you guys looking forward to the rest of this week? Games that you really circle that, that could be important from a, from a bracketology standpoint. Start with you, Andy. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give a couple. I'll try not to steal too many from, uh, from Rocco here. I think you look Tuesday – San Diego State at Colorado State is a big one. Uh, Colorado State struggling a bit of late, moving in the wrong direction down the C list, a chance to stabilize things at home uh, a little bit for them. So that one uh, is key for them, but also San Diego State right in that 4-5 uh, mix as well. So being able to pick up a road win there would be huge for them uh, as well. Wednesday, Florida at Kentucky. We talked a lot about Florida being right on the cut line, a chance to get a, a quad one uh, road win at Kentucky is is big for them. And then Thursday, uh, got to mention, I'll get some Big Ten mention here, Wisconsin at Nebraska. Rocco had Nebraska, uh, I believe, just on the outside uh, of his field, being able to they, – they played really well at home, obviously beating Purdue. Uh, have struggled quite a bit away from home, but uh, they return home, get a chance to play Wisconsin. That would be another big win for them that would uh, would bolster their resume as well. Yeah, and I, I guess I'll add here, Kev, that uh, Marquette going to Villanova on Tuesday night um, will represent quite a bit. Marquette has just been continuing to climb. Uh, to me, they're the, the top three seeds, so they're right on the cusp of becoming the two. That would be another great road win if you're, if you're Marquette. And we've talked to death about Villanova, how badly they just need to get a win in general. And uh, it, it would just make their resume a little bit more ridiculous to beat Marquette. <laughs> here at home. Uh, so we'll see how that, that's going to be a big game on both sides. 
Texas Tech is on the on the ascent. They get another road test after winning at Texas and at Oklahoma. Now they go to TCU. We'll see how TCU responds on a little bit of a short prep after the triple overtime uh, win at Baylor. So that's that's a big game on both sides as well. And then for the la- one of the last teams I had in uh, Florida, um, a team who we said they really need some not only a big win but a big road win. They at least get to swing the bat at Rupp Arena on Wednesday. So watch out for that. And a team we haven't really talked about, but Indiana State, they continue to cruise. In my opinion, they're clearly an at-large team. They have the 19th best resume, um, and all the metrics are in their favor. And uh, only three losses that are all in the top, I think, 50 uh, in the net. Uh, And so the, the Sycamores keep getting tested, though. The Missouri Valley's a brutal league. And they go to a team at Belmont who do, uh, do not have Jacoby Gillespie anymore. He's out out for now. But uh, Belmont has never lost more than two games at home in any year, uh, I think in the last nine or ten years. And they've already lost one or two this year. So it's going to be a really tough uh, place to get a win for the, for the Sycamores. Well, I have not looked at the resume as closely as you have, Rocco, but I, I will be starting the petition to make sure that Robbie Avila makes the SWA tournament, regardless of what happens uh, at Arch Madness. We appreciate you all joining us as always. If you are looking for the full field, go to at the field of 68 on Twitter X. Uh, We will have that posted for you this evening. And if you want to tune in for the next update, it will be on Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern, right where you're watching today. It'll be here uh, again. So uh, for Andy, Rocco, myself, uh, we appreciate you all joining us for Fielding the 68 Episode 3. We'll be back Friday.